Uh, good morning. It's good to be with you in a roundabout sort of a way. Um, when Josh asked me if I would come and uh, speak one morning, one of my motives was to catch up with you all here, but obviously that's not happening at the moment. So I'm assuming you're out there uh, somewhere at various locations and uh, perhaps another time we'll come back and see face-to-face. Thanks, Sandra, for reading. That was well done. I appreciate that. Um, it's um, good to see you on the screen there. Haven't seen you for a while. I have enjoyed the series on Isaiah. Um, I haven't watched them live because uh, our church service is on a similar time, but I have listened to them and watched a few of them. And um, it's been a good series, and I'm sure... Uh, you've got plenty out of it, and there's still a few to go yet, so um, I'm sure there's more to come. Uh, the topic this morning um, is I am the Lord, and it's uh, Isaiah 42, 18 to 43, 21. I will be reading some sections out of that as we go through, so if you want to have it open, um, that's fine. If you've been following the series, uh, you will know that um, Israel at this point is in exile and held captive in Babylon. And the Babylonians are ruling over them at this stage. You know, those of us living in Victoria at the moment can have, we have some parallels, don't we, to the people of Israel. We are somewhat captives in our own state at the moment. We're not allo- we are not allowed to move around as we once enjoyed. And it's not easy, is it? We're used to living a life of freedom where we could travel state to state, country to country. We had a lot of freedoms, especially in this country. Yet those things have been taken away from us. And on one hand, we feel aggrieved by this because it's not our normal way of life. And I don't think it's the way of life that God created us to live. And it's definitely not my preferred way to live. I'd love to be coming and having a cup of tea with Josh or seeing my friends and doing the things that, you know, I get out and about to do, but it's just not happening at the moment. Yet, this will change, I'm sure. Maybe today we will get some uh, more freedoms and we'll be able to stay out past 9pm We'll be celebrating that, won't we? Yet, until very recently, you'd have to describe our lifestyle in this country as one of the freest in the world. We have got great freedoms in this country, yet in other countries, people do not have the same freedoms. In many countries, people have lived life, their whole life, under the control of the government. Yet we have seen recently a very small window into how people have been living in other countries and even how Israel have been living part of their their journey. You know, if you watch the news or hear the news or read the news, uh, you'll see that in Kabul there's a lot of things going on at the moment. And I did read an article about a young girl and um, who lives in Kabul. And the title of the argument was, Now I Have No Hope. 
And this is the story that I read, or a brief part of it anyway. And this was a young girl who was a teacher at a local university and up until August the 15th, she was able to move around and do her job. Once the Taliban took over, she has gone from holding down a good job and moving around freely to being confined to her home. She's not even able to go outside without the company of a male. And the only male she trusts is her father, who's an elderly man. She has no income and she feels like she has no hope. And I'm sure there are many similar stories to this in Kabul at the moment and many worse than that as well. While we do not like to live as we are at the moment, we have hope, don't we? We know that in time, we will go back to the freedoms we once had. Yet, when people lose hope, it's very sad in society, isn't it, to see people lose hope? Because that's a lot of what we go through life, is we have hope. Hope in this and hope in that. Yet when people lose hope, there is a lot of troubles. And I think you can feel a bit of that at the moment. There seems to be a lack of optimism out there, doesn't there? Or even some hopelessness. You know, Tracy and I were given a holiday voucher, and it's to South, a place in South Australia. And we were looking forward to going, really were. We hadn't been away for quite a while. And so far, we've had to change that date around five times. But we're still hopeful that we will get there. We know that one day we'll be able to have that holiday. You know, my cousin is married to a mad, passionate Melbourne supporter. And there's one here as well, normally, who's not here today. I hope he's watching. And he's hopeful that the drought will be broken. From 1964, they have not won a premiership. Yet every year, he, he tells me he's hopeful that this will be the year. And maybe this will be the year. While many things we are unable to do impact us at a time like this, let us not lose hope. Because we know that we have hope. And it's not hope in the government, to be honest. It's not hope in people. It's hope in God, isn't it? And as Christians, we have hope in our eternal Father. We know this because the Bible's full of hope. It's real hope, not false hope. It's everlasting hope, eternal hope, and true hope. You know, that's not to say that we can just dismiss the difficulties of living in the fallen world. None of us are immune to the goings-on of the world around us, are we? They affect us. We see pain and suffering. And we know that one day, that if you are a Christian, that that will not be where we will be. But we know that our true hope is in the Lord, not in our current circumstances. Psalm 33.20 says this, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, 
for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You know, hope, as I said, we we live for hope, don't we? We hope one day that things will be better, things will change, and we hope ultimately that we will be with him in heaven. If you read verse 22, you could see how Israel may have lost some hope. They're in this situation that they find themselves in where they feel a little hopeless. And this is what verse 22 says. But this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot with no one to say, send them back. When you read that, do you think they have hope? It's hard to see, isn't it? Reading these verses, you would think not. But then we can't find earthly hope. We find the hope in God, don't we? And 43.1 says this. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You know, God always provides hope. Sometimes it's hard for us to see, but he always provides hope for us. Over the past few years, I've been become more interested in history. And the overwhelming thing that I've discovered about reading about history is that the human race has a short memory. We are very good at doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. History, when you read it, is littered with this. You know, there was about a 20-year span between World War I and World War II. And World War I was described as the war to end all wars. You know, 20 years is not a long time. And you would think that the people that went through the First World War would have... Many of them would have been alive for the Second World War. And you would think some of these wise people would have said, going back to war again is not wise. But it fell on deaf ears, didn't it? And they went back to war. You know, God described Israel as blind and deaf. A blind and deaf servant would be of very little use. You know, it sounds quite harsh when you read it, doesn't it, to be described as blind and deaf. Interestingly, this is not Israel's only experience of this type of oppression. And you would think the stories of Egypt, although many hundreds of years before, would be ringing in their memories, wouldn't you? You would think it would be a reminder of not what to do. And and the thoughts in the people at that time must have been, we don't want to go through this again. We heard and read about what happened in the past. But they're back in a similar situation again. You know, when I read, was reading this, I was thinking, how silly are they? And then I thought, how silly am I? How silly can all of us be? We do this 
type of thing that we in our own lives and we think I don't want to go back there again I've been there I want to make a change and then quite often we make the same decision and end back up at the same place during the uh, long lockdown last year there seemed to be a shift in our community there seemed to be a way that people interacted with others the people in our community seemed to be willing to show some genuine care for others people talked about supporting local businesses people talked about shopping local looking out for the disadvantaged um, showing grace being kind asking how you were going showing and i felt it was genuine absolutely i felt that way and community definitely felt different during that time but this time i think i I feel a little different feeling is out there maybe it's not the things that we thought were less important last lockdown like people stripped back their lives i think to the basics and thought what is important in my life but we seem to have gone back to the the other way now and at the moment i don't feel it's it's like that and the people i speak to feel the same way and i think did we lose that sense of community in 12 months i'm sure part of it is lockdown fatigue but I feel we've already lost some of those in thing, the things in society that were good, that were valuable, and we've seemed to have moved on. And I think, are our memories that short? Have we forgotten already what it was like in that just 12 months ago? And I guess time will reveal the answer to that, and hopefully it's not the case. You know, so Israel is not for, not the only... Um, people who forget past experiences and like when they were in Egypt things looked hopeless but God heard their cries and he redeemed them he called them by name and made them his own you know our parallels again with Israel are at play the other thing Israel could not do is save itself It thought it could at times, but it couldn't. It needed a saviour. A blind person cannot save a blind person. A drowning man cannot save a drowning man. And a sinful man cannot save a sinful nation. And that is our reality today, isn't it? It is the same as Israel. We need a saviour just as they needed a saviour. Israel, like us, had a problem that they couldn't solve. Chapter 43, verse 4, it says this. Since you are precious precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you. Nations in exchange for your life. In one commentary I read, it said of this verse, that it's one of the most tender and loving verses in the Bible. 
I'll read it again. And this is what it says. Since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Great words, aren't they? And we should hold on to these words because they are precious. And it tells of how precious we are to God. You know, he chooses to love us, not because we deserve it, because we don't, but because he loves us because of who he is. And his infection for us is unfathomable. He says, fear not, for I am with you. The traditional wedding vows go something like this. I take you, whoever, to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. According to God's holy will, and I pledge you my faithfulness. The vows are only as good as the person reciting them, aren't they? And the passage of time has shown that we can make many vows and statements that we cannot fulfil. We see it in society, don't we? We have good intentions to fulfil them, but for many reasons we cannot deliver. God, on the other hand, does and will keep his promises. So when he says, do not fear, for I am with you, you can take it to the bank that that is what will happen. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. You can believe it when God says it. Man has great intentions to fulfil his promises, doesn't he? I know I do, but sometimes we fail. And sometimes we let other people down and ourselves down and God down as well. But God will not do that. We all have our times where we have doubts and struggles. And Israel, while being in exile, I'm sure are having their doubts and their struggles. But they know God's promises and they know them well. But they must be thinking, would it not be easier to give up? Why don't we just fall into, into line with the Babylonians? That would make our lives simpler and easier. You know, maybe they're thinking this way because they've lost hope. God then sets the scene to prove that he is who he says he is. It it resembles a court-like scene, doesn't it? And he shows that he alone can save. The scene is that God challenges all the nations. He says to all the nations to show them that he is the only true God who can save and who has no peer. Of all the other so-called gods of this world, he is absolutely unique. He has no peer. He has proven himself over 
the passage of time and in the Bible. And by announcing he would do something in advance and then doing it, he proved it again, didn't he? Who among them can say that they have a God who has done that? One commentator put it this way. It's better words than I can use. This sovereign capacity to determine what he shall do and do it without hindrance is the true mark of deity. God says that what I did in, God says that what's, that's what I did in Exodus. Has any other God done that before? He asked the nations this question and asked us of the world. Can anyone bring to me a claim from another God? All that is needed at this time is for someone to stand up and the whole thing falls over, doesn't it? But there is only silence. No one can can stand up and say that their God has done that. The deity of God is the whole basis of the Christian church. John Stott, I'm sure many of you would have heard of, was asked the question, uh, what's the greatest challenge facing the Christian church today? And this was his response. The uniqueness of salvation that is to be found in Jesus Christ. What he was saying was, we have become people who have watered it down. We have watered down the uniqueness of salvation in Jesus Christ. We have taken it maybe for granted even that there are many things and many ways to get to God or to get to heaven. When I was talking to some people about this question and I hear them the concern that today in Christian churches that the deity of Christ is being watered down. And once that happens, we are in great trouble. They may not preach from the pulpit that there are many ways to God or to salvation, but they may may also not be 100% resolute in the fact that this is true. Do not water down the salvation story of Christ. There is only one way to eternal life, and that is through Christ Jesus. After we left this church a few years back, as I said, we had no plan of where we would end up. And we did go to probably three or four different churches. And I remember one morning we were sitting in church and the pastor stood up and was about to... Uh, do an introduction to communion. And he stood up and made some statements that while not... uh, I'm trying to think of the word... not lies, but they were a watered-down version of what Jesus did on the cross. You know, he didn't go into the uniqueness and the deity of Christ during that time. And to be honest, I felt very uncomfortable that in a Christian church that that would be 
talked about in that way. And it was confronting. And it wasn't that the introduction was totally unbiblical based or true. There were truths in it, absolutely. But there was just skewed enough to feel not quite right. Eroding the deity of Christ happens one small step at a time. It's generally not a big leap, but it's little things here and there that erode the deity of Christ. You know, never in my lifetime have Christian values been at so odds with the views of the world. When I grew up, you could have Christian ideals and values and people may not have agreed with them, but they sat reasonably comfortable in community. But today I find that if you have those views or beliefs, you are narrow-minded, you're arrogant, you're out of touch with modern society. The once Christian values of society seem to have taken so many steps away from what we thought were good morals and ethics now to be seen as narrow-mindedness and not even true. You know, I'm glad my children have gone through their schooling years because I'm sure putting children through school now is a minefield of challenges, of how they hold on to their beliefs that they are taught here and at home to take through school. I really have prayers for you guys as you do this. I'm sure it's a great challenge. Whatever claims you may hear inside or outside the church, God says, I am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no saviour. I'll read that again. I am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no saviour. You know, even blind Israel saw it with their own eyes. It wasn't just talk. God had announced in advance that he would get victory over Egypt and over Pharaoh, and he did it. And we think of it sometimes as just a children's story, uh, the story of Moses. But Moses stood there and he held up his staff and he held it out over the waters and the waters parted. And the people of God passed through. They didn't even get their feet wet. And they had a wall of water either side, standing vertically up as they went through. Then Pharaoh charged in after them with his horses and chariots, surrounded by his generals. Safe on the other side, Moses held out his staff and the seas folded back together and destroyed Pharaoh for his disobedience to God. You know that I did that, says God. It was not some idol God, I-D-O-L, God, that played any part in this. It was done so that you may know me and believe me and understand that I am the Lord Apart from me, there is no saviour. So why would you not trust me to save you today? Just as he had rescued them from Egypt in the past, 
so too will he rescue them from Babylon in the future. I'm going to read some verses. If you want, chapter 43, I'm going to read verse, verses 14 to 21. Chapter 43, verses 14 to 21. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. This is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, see I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide the water. In the wilderness and streams in the waste and in the wastelands. To give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Great words, aren't they? You know, God is their redeemer. They mess things up and he saved them. We mess things up and he saves us. I am the Lord. I can fulfill my promises. I have proven myself. You have read and heard of what I have done. I am your creator and king. We know that God did defeat Babylon and he did put an end to Israel's captivity and they returned to Jerusalem. He did fulfill his promise. His message for Israel was that he would bring an end to their exile. His message for us today is the same. Just as the Israelites in Babylon were living away from their true home in Jerusalem, New Testament Christians are in a spiritual exile on earth. This is not our true home. Our true home is in heaven. I am the Lord, your God. Just as Israel looked forward to getting out of exile, we look forward to going to our true home in heaven with Christ. For the moment, we live in a fallen world, and with that go many challenges, and challenges that can evaporate our hope and at times seem too much to bear. One of the pastors at our current church often says this from the pulpit, seek his presence before his power and abide in him. Or another way, 
get to enjoy his presence rather than seeking a miracle. As I said earlier, uh, Tracy's dad died a few months ago and it was quite sudden. So no one was prepared for it in any way, shape or form. Um, So the grief was pretty instant um, for the whole family. You know, we, we were looking for God's presence at that time during that grief. And the way God's people gathered around Tracy, Emma, Megan and I was incredible. But not only that, they gathered around the non-church game members of our family. You know, this was God at work. God could not physically be with us, but his people could. His faithful servants made what seemed impossible to bear bearable. Not only is he a God who created the earth, put breath into man, moved a nation out of exile twice, he also sent someone to a house in Montmorency to give a meal and care give. I've been helping a couple of missionaries from New Guinea uh, trying to find a house to purchase, which is challenging in these times, I can tell you. Sometimes you can go and look and sometimes it's online. And they'd sent me some pictures of places they were interested in and then at one particular stage I got to go and physically visit a house with them. Uh, These people had been missionaries for many years and um, they'd been missionaries in New Guinea and they weren't flush with funds and they were watching house prices going up each day really. And they were getting a little anxious and losing a bit of hope. And they were praying that God would show them this house that they should purchase. And as I said, they looked at many places. And they rang me and said, we've found a place, have a look at it online, we're going to go and have a look at it. So I said, okay. So I had a bit of a look and said, it looks okay in pictures, I'm not sure what it's like in reality. So they went into this house went through the front door, entered the kitchen, and hanging on the kitchen wall was a large Hessian coffee bag. And it came from the very same town in New Guinea where they were missionaries. To this, this was a sign from God. This was God answering their prayers. They now live in that house and are enjoying it. And he said to me, there are many other miracles that happened for us to get this house. You know, God cares about the little things in our lives. He really does. I'm just about finished. I'm just going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Then I'll pray and hand back to Josh. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And this is the heading on this verse in my Bible says, the conduct of God's people in the midst of, midst of suffering. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, 
we acknowledge that at times we lose hope and we get downcast and we wonder where you are in the things that go on in our lives. But we've read this morning that you are interested in the very small things in our lives and also the very big things that go on throughout society. Lord, you know that in times like this, we can go one of two ways. We can seek you and draw our strength from you, or we can bunker down and try and do it on our own. I pray now that each and every one of us will set our our sights and hearts and minds on you. Help us to look up for your direction. Help us not to become mired in the the day-to-day goings on around us that can uh, help us make us lose hope. Lord, I pray now as we go out through the week that you will be with us. You will help us to be an encouragement to those around us. Help us to be God in the physical sense to the people that need it. Help us to become more like you in our daily lives. Amen.